welcome everyone. Everybody's gone. <laughs> welcome everyone. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you for welcoming me. <laughs> we are honored to have you here in the house with us tonight and to be able to worship the Lord together. It's just uh, uh, an amazing opportunity that we get once a week to gather together in his name. And uh, it's wonderful to see each other's faces, to be able to wrap our hearts around one another. And what a great time of worship we had tonight. So welcome, welcome King of Kings family. Welcome to all of those that are joining us from around the world. Some joining us from here in Israel and in Jerusalem, part of our family that's watching us online. It's great to be here together. Uh, I just want to say a special thank you to our worship team, to uh, Daniela specifically. Daniela is the uh, worship leader at our congregation in Herzliya. And uh, she, you, you met Pastor Daniel a few weeks ago. Daniela is the worship leader at Herzliya Congregation, King of Kings. And Daniela was scheduled today with a, a team. Part of them got sick today. She had to scramble at the last minute to put together the team. So she's a superstar. She did an outstanding job being able to put all those pieces together and to be able to give us such a great time of interacting together with the Lord in worship. And so a big thank you to Danielle. And just a fun fact, yeah. Fun fact about Daniela, she's going to hit me for telling you this later, but Daniela got to sing this week at the uh, American Embassy's 4th of July celebration. She got to sing the, the national anthem for America. And uh, we're really proud of her. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a great honor. And she did a great, great job uh, representing the United States. And so big thank you to Daniela. And we won't ask her to sing that tonight at the end, but uh, maybe you can watch it online and join that. Uh, Pastor Ray is traveling, and uh, several of our worship team members are traveling, representing King of Kings in the United States. Pastor Ray actually comes back today and will be with us on Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, come back right to this room. We're going to have a wonderful time. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to wait for his spirit to move, to speak to us. We're going to pray into some specific topics and, and just gather together as a community and, and just worship the Lord and, uh, and give him some opportunities to move in our midst. And then we're going to end that very hot time with the Lord with some ice cream. <laughs> we're going to gather together right up here in the lobby. We're going to have some ice cream and bananas and all of the different kinds of toppings, any kind of topping we can find. We're going to set it out there and make our own ice cream uh, Sunday combinations, whatever you want to call it. We're going to have a great time. So join us this Wednesday night, 6.30. We'll be right here in this room. And then we will be here for about an hour, hour and a half and go upstairs for some cool off time with God's favorite food, ice cream. And you don't want to miss that. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we are in a series that we're calling Living Wisdom. We're exploring this thing that God gives to us to be able to live our lives well, to be able to live successfully, to be able to, in this earthly pilgrimage, do it in a way that honors God as we're walking through this earth, this thing called wisdom. 
And so we've been exploring uh, through the book of Proverbs this thing called wisdom. And what we've seen is that we, human beings, we have a deficit of wisdom. In, in other words, we, we don't come with it hardwired. It's not a part of our operating system. So we have this deficit of wisdom. And in general, human beings, we just don't innately know how to do life well. We don't have that wisdom that it takes to do it. And, and so what we've found that down through time, mankind has come up with their own ways of doing things, their own wisdom, their own earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom that they've put together to try to figure out how to do life's hardest uh, areas, whether it's relationships or marriages or finances or sex or money. Men has come up with their own rules, their own wisdom and how to do these things and, and to how to some, some way navigate through life's roughest uh, challenges. And if we're honest, we will say uh, there are several different areas in our lives that we just don't know how to do them well. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it is marriage. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's several of those things that we just, we get to them and we, uh, we're finding that we have a lack we don't actually have what it takes to be able to do it well. And, and man-made wisdom just doesn't cut it. Man-made wisdom is like using a butter knife to cut a two-by-four, like using a, a fishing hook to try to pull a train car, like using a toothbrush to paint a wall. It seems like a good idea in its application, and from a distance it looks like it might work, but when we actually try to use it, it doesn't work, or it doesn't work well. But God doesn't leave us stranded without what we need to do life well. And so God offers to us his wisdom, the, the real deal, the, the wisdom that we were created to be able to use, to be able to navigate the life that we have to live successfully, to live meaningfully, to live productively, and to live in a way that we change the world that we're living in. And here's the thing about wisdom, God's wisdom, that's exciting and it's challenging. It's fun and intriguing at the same time. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, and we all lack wisdom, we come without it as a part of our operating system. If we lack wisdom, James says, just ask God, and he'll give you the wisdom without judgment, without finding fault. And, and James promises us that it will be given to us. But my question is, is what does that look like? What does that process of him giving us his wisdom, what does that look like? Is it like the genie in the bottle? We just ask God for the wisdom. We, we rub the bottle and God says, what do you want? And give me wisdom and poof. Magically, we're filled up with wisdom. Everything that we were missing, suddenly now we have. That'd be like a, a Marvel movie or something like that. And, and it just doesn't work that way. Actually, the process for gaining wisdom is way more exciting, way more intriguing and interesting and truly more fulfilling to us as human beings because of the way that God has created us. And, and we see this in God's word, this process of asking God for wisdom. And as we ask him for wisdom, what we see in his word is that God then invites us, if you will, on, on a journey. He invites us to collect this wisdom from him, to come to him and to find it, to 
uh, hunt for it, to search for it, to mine for it. He doesn't just dump it in our laps. It doesn't just fill our, our heads or our hearts full of wisdom. Because if he did it that way, it would really be cheap. It would even be common. Anybody could ask for wisdom from God and, and then suddenly that they would have it. Rather, Job gives us a different picture of this process. As we ask God for wisdom, Job begins to describe for us in chapter 28 this, this process that man goes into finding some of the earth's rarest jewels, most precious metals, and he describes the, the amount of work that goes into it, whether it's diamonds or gold or rubies, silver, topaz, lapis lazuli. I love that word, lapis lazuli. If you get a chance to look it up, if you've never seen lapis lazuli, don't look it up right now on your phones. Look it up later. It's beautiful, beautiful blue stone, lapis lazuli, God's earthly treasures. And, and Job describes in detail all of the work that goes into finding these. They, they, they're not just laying out. They're not easily found. It takes work and it takes intentionality and, and digging holes and special equipment and putting all of the pieces together to find to extract these rare earthly treasures. And in this process, Job emphasizes for us that wisdom, God's wisdom, is far more valuable, far more costly, more precious, and he even intimates that it's far harder to find than the treasures of this earth. When he asks, where then, where, where, oh, where can we find wisdom? Where does it exist? He underlines for us that it's found in God. God alone has it. He says, to God belongs wisdom and power. The message version says, true wisdom and power, uh, real power belong to God. From him, we learn how to do life. And also what to do uh, and what to live for. See, I believe that God's process isn't just dumping it in our laps. Think about that for just a moment. What would that mean to us? It would be of, of absolutely no value. Rather, I believe that what we see through Job's description and other scriptures that we'll look at is that God's process of collecting wisdom, that, that earthly uh, that, that godly wisdom that looks like those earthly treasures and the way that they are collected. The amount of work that goes into finding these rare, costly items that are challenging to find that require great intentionality, so it is with wisdom. Listen to how Proverbs describes wisdom. It says, blessed are those who find wisdom. It doesn't say blessed are those who have been given wisdom. Those that find wisdom, listen to uh, the rest of the verse, those who gain understanding. It's more profitable than silver, better than gold, more precious than rubies. They gain understanding, they find wisdom. They're not just given wisdom. Understanding didn't just happen to land in their laps. A little bit later in Proverbs it says, the one who gets Wisdom, love's life, we get wisdom. The one who, uh, how much better it is to get wisdom than to get gold, to get insight, 
than to get silver. We get this picture then that these words are telling us that God's inviting us to get, to grab a hold of, to search after, to find, to dig, to mine, to get wisdom. It's a collection. And Paul describes this for us in Corinthians. As he's describing wisdom, he says, God's wisdom is a mystery. It's been hidden, but God has destined it for our glory. It's been hidden away. The message version says it this way. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of God's purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out the very best he has in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. See, this is God's best material wisdom. This is his most costly, precious stone. And he's inviting us to go hunting for it. He's inviting us to search hard after it, to dig for it, to put all the pieces together, to mine it, to find and to get wisdom. It's not just lying around. It's not a common material. He's wanting us to dig and to knock and to seek and to ask to find this precious, priceless substance. And it only makes sense. There's a degree or an effort of our putting the work in to get the wisdom, to find it, to dig it out, to mine it, because we're participants with God in his work in this world. As we search his word, as we mine his spirit, as we dig and search into that relationship with him, we get a beautiful picture of of intimacy as we grow closer to the Lord, learning how to grow and dig and search and seek and ask and mine, unsatisfied with what we have already, willing to do whatever it takes to find that rare, precious item. We get as much as we collect of wisdom. Uh, here's, here's a thought that is going to set some of us on our side. We get as much as we're willing to put the work in to get out. It makes sense. If we really want wisdom, we're going to dig for it. We're going to look for it. We're going to search. We're going to mine. We're going to set our lives around in such a way that we're continually collecting wisdom from God. It isn't a one-time process. Otherwise, we'd all be wise. It's a process of ongoing relationship with the Lord. And the truth is, we're doing this all the time anyway. We're always hunting. We're always searching, seeking, because that's the way that God created us. We're always looking for the things that interest us. This week, a colleague and I we, we at work sat down and we looked up some old TV shows that we watched as kids and we did lots of searching to find them online and then we watched them and laughed. Can you believe we watched that kind of stuff? We went to lots of work. It was a few minutes of time. But this is how we, we think and we tick. We're constantly searching anyway and, and finding those things that interest us. Maybe it's a, a, a cooking and a recipe or maybe it's how to build things, or maybe it's a certain hobby that we have. 
maybe it's movie stars and actors and music and the things that, the, of the entertainment world. But whatever it is, we've been created to hunt and search. We're hunters. We're not satisfied unless we're hunting and finding those things that interest us. And so this is our key point tonight, our first key point. We will find God's greatest material mineral deposits of wisdom as we accept his invitation to search, seek, and mine it in him. We will find God's greatest mineral deposits of wisdom as we accept his invitation to search for it, to seek for it, to mine it from him. And for us, the book of Proverbs is, is the mother load. It's the treasure trove of all wisdom. All of the best jewels of wisdom are, are just laid out there on display for us to, to begin gathering, to make our own. But we don't do it in one setting. It takes time. It's, it's going back to the book of Proverbs and it's, it's studying it out and it's learning what does it say and cross-referencing it with other stories and, and sermons and prayers in the word of God and, and then beginning to mine that and making it our own. Proverbs has for us lots of practical wisdom, how to do life in all of the different areas where we always stumble in life. Tonight, we're going to look at just one of those areas. And this is an area where, honestly, most of us can tell you a million different stories of how we've stumbled and fallen in this area. We're going to be looking tonight at this thing called uh, the mouth. Oh, some of us already turned off. Oh, no. There he goes. We're going to talk about the mouth. Oh, I've never been successful there. or I've failed there so many times. Well, join the club. Uh, I'm joining the club. I joined the club this week, embarrassed myself in front of my daughter, and uh, said things out of my mouth that I would not repeat right here to uh, one of our neighbors who sat down in the street and kept honking his horn 10.30 at night, I'm not kidding, like 52 times he honked his horn. Finally, I gave him a piece of my mind. <laughs> Foolishly said things out of my mouth that I wish I could take back. So join the club. God has lots to say to us out of the book of Proverbs about the mouth. In fact, uh, of all of the themes that, are, uh, that make up the book of Proverbs, the mouth, the lips, the tongue, how we use our words, is probably the biggest theme in the book of Proverbs. It's, it's easy, low-hanging fruit, but it's probably because this is where we all stumble. We don't do it well, and because the power of the tongue. So we don't do it well, we have this power tool, and we're not using it well, and so God gives us lots and lots of wisdom to know how to do that well. And we learn as we dig in here that words matter to God. Words matter to God. Words carry weight. It reminds me of the story of Mildred, the church gossip and the self-appointed monitor of the church's morals. Mildred kept sticking her nose into other people's business and several other members didn't really agree with what she was doing, but they feared her enough to not interfere and to keep their silence Mildred made a mistake, however, when she accused George, the new church member, of being an alcoholic. 
after she saw his old pickup truck parked in front of the town's only bar one afternoon. She emphatically told George and several others that were standing around at the time that everyone seeing it there would know exactly what he was doing. George, a man of few words, stared at her for a moment and then just turned and and walked away. He didn't say anything, he didn't explain, he didn't defend or deny. He, He literally said nothing and just walked away. Later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house and walked home and left it there all night long. Sometimes, like George, our actions speak louder than our words, but words, as we see in Proverbs, carry weight. Words change things because words produce fruit. Words are what God used as he spoke the creation into existence. It didn't exist, he spoke, and it did exist. Words are what God uses today, still to today, to create, to restore, to lift up, to encourage, to empower, to illuminate truth, to destroy the works of the enemy, to establish his kingdom. Think about that. That's how God is doing his work, through his mouth and his words. We see this from the very beginning. God says with his mouth, with his words, let there be, and there was. Sun and moon and water and animals and night and day and mankind. The psalmist says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Hebrews tells us by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command by his mouth so that what is seen was not made out of what is invisible. Excuse me, what is seen is not made by what is visible. Hebrews tells us, for the word of the Lord is alive. It's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. That's power. This is what God's word is and what it does. God, in describing his own word, says in Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Ever. Wow but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's power. But the real power of God's words are seen in the life that they give to us, to you and me, to mankind. Yeshua describing a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Think about that for a moment. We don't live by bread alone. What keeps us alive isn't the bread that we're eating. It isn't the houses that we're sleeping in. 
It isn't all the things around us. That, those are just things. The things that are keeping us alive is the word of the Lord. God's word, day by day, moment by moment, being spoken out over all of our lives, keeps us alive. Wow. And this is why words matter to God. God's words carry weight. They're the very things that give us life every day. Now here's where the story gets even better. You and I, human beings, we're all a part of God's creation. We have been created in God's image. He's the original. We're the replicas of, of God. Many versions, if you will, of our God. And in this image, as human beings, we've been given the same ability, the same mouth, tongue, power to speak words that have weight. Words that change things. The words that change the world that you and I live in. We don't create on the same level as God. Our power is finite. God is infinite. His words are more powerful than ours. He has unlimited power. We have limited power as human beings. But it's the same process, the same tongue, the same mouth, the same lips, powered by God. Designed and empowered by the living God to speak life, to build up, to encourage, to restore, to glorify God, to proclaim his words, to proclaim his message, to prophesy, to destroy the works of the enemy. And so you have to ask, and I know somebody in this room is sitting here right now thinking, why did God give us that kind of power? What was he thinking? What was God thinking of giving human beings this kind of power, this formidable God tool? Why didn't he recall it at the fall of mankind? If I was God, I would have recalled it. These people can't be trusted with such a powerful tool. When I was in college, it was the end of my first year of college and uh, uh, the summer break came and I had to get a job to be able to pay for school in, in the fall. So I got a job working at a mine up in the mountains in Colorado. And uh, the, the, the guy hired me and one other college student to clean up this thing they called the boneyard. It was where they put all of their uh, discarded stuff that e either was trash or needed to be refurbished, and they weren't sure what to do with it, so they just kept throwing it all out into the boneyard. And, and finally, it had gotten so full that they needed somebody to come in and sort it out. And so that was my job for the summer, to sort out this boneyard, to clean out the stuff that was trash and throw it away, and to find the stuff that could be salvaged and figure out a way to get it salvaged. To do this job, my boss knew that we were going to need some powerful tools to get it done. And I'll never forget the morning. Shortly after we started, we walked into the office of the, the manager that oversaw all of the power equipment. And my boss says, these two guys need to be certified on the forklift and the front loader. And, and the guy exploded. 
And he said, there's no way I'm gonna certify these two kids, these little boys, to be able to use these power tools. They're not gonna treat them well. They're gonna tear them up and I'm not gonna have it. My boss, who was the boss, put his foot down and said, look, and I'll never forget it. It was like, either you or they. You can have your job and let them have this certificate or you can lose your job. And so the guy grudgingly gives us the certification so that we can use the forklift and we can use the front loaders. And, and I won't tell you the part of the story where I'm out in the boneyard chasing my buddy on his forklift, on my forklift, playing cowboys and Indians. So I won't tell you that story because if my boss would have found that part out, we would have never, had, but we had to have those tools to get this job done. And like my boss, God knows what tools we're gonna need to be able to accomplish this great work that he's designed us for and that he's called us to do. Started in the Garden of Eden, it's called the creation mandate. God, with his mouth, blessed mankind and he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves. From the beginning, God intended for human beings to be his, for the lack of a better word, junior partners in working at the work of bringing his creation to fulfillment. The earth didn't come with houses and cars and cities and farms and barns, cows willing to be milked. The earth didn't come with fruit trees all lined up in a row or the periodic table of elements and a list of all the ways that, that those elements can be used. God's plans then and now, still to today, are for mankind, for you and I to develop his creation, to expand it, to grow it, to build it up, to make this earth a place where man can interact with his God, where we can worship our God, where God can be known. We've been given a task to be stewards of God's earth, to be stewards of his creation. And we're responsible for that. We're gonna to have to answer for how we did that. But to be able to do this God knew that we needed the most powerful, sophisticated tool that he had, the mouth. The same tool that he uses to restore and to build up and to encourage and to establish his eternal kingdom. Key point number two, our mouths are a tool, an instrument of God for use as we participate with God in the kingdom work of this earth. The mouth is a tool or an instrument of God that we use as we participate with God in this kingdom work on the earth. How powerful is this tool? I know some of us are thinking, I, I think I know how powerful it is. How powerful is it and, and what can it do and, and what does it look like when it's working? Well, here's a couple of things to consider. It's so powerful that God said about the people at the Tower of Babel is that the people began to build this gigantic tower and they were gonna reach it up to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And God looked down on it and God says, if as one people, 
speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is the power of our mouths, the power of having one language. So God stepped into that and he confused their language and limited mankind's use of the full functionality of this tool. Interestingly, mankind has been working for years at putting that back together. Google has put us way far ahead. We're not too far away from being able to speak as one again with all of the different technology that we have. But words matter to God because they carry weight and they have power and they change things. Another thing that we need to consider is that our enemy, the enemy of God, Satan, uh, also has this same tool. Uh, in fact, it's the only tool that he has. He doesn't actually have anything else. And, and he doesn't even create. All he has the power to do is take the words that already exist and, and to twist them and to lie and to boast and to brag about himself and to threaten and to, to speak lies. In fact, Yeshua says he's the father of lies. It's all he knows how to do is lie. It's the only language that he has. And we see then that this instrument, this tool that God has given us has power for death as well as for creation and life. Proverbs describes this power for us then. Proverbs 18 says the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Wow. What else is there? What other tool is there? What is there? Scan the earth. What else has the power of life and death all in one spot? The tongue. And God gave it to us. The mouth produces fruit, either life or death. Proverbs 15 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs then illuminates for us the mouth that gives life as the gentle tongue, the mouth of the righteous, the soothing tongue, the wise tongue, truthful lips, the lips of the righteous, the tongue of the wise, and the fruit that these produce lasts forever, it endures forever, it brings healing. It's a tree of life, it's like choice silver. Produces the fruit of wisdom, it's a fountain of life and it adorns knowledge and protects the wise. That's the fruit of the mouth of life. In contrast, Proverbs also shows us the, the mouth of death and it's described as the flattering mouth, the perverse tongue the lying tongue, the sly tongue, the corrupt mouth, the, the destructive tongue, the mouth of the fool. And it produces a fruit that gushes folly, that lasts only a moment, that crushes the spirit, that falls into trouble, is like an unwelcome rain, is reckless and pierces like a sword. 
is overwhelmed with violence, inviting ruin, destroying cities, gushing evil, and feeding on folly. Life and death. This is the power of the mouth that God has given to us. What an amazing tool. What an amazing tool that God has given to us. What an amazing God to give us. Such a powerful tool. It says something about how he values us. We find that with this tool, we have the responsibility for it and the stewardship over it. Just like other parts of our lives. We heard about one last week as Pastor Chad talked about time and our stewardship of time, that we have to be good stewards of the time that God's given to us. So whether it's our gifts or our talents, finances, family relationships, we're accountable for all of those things, including the fruit that is produced through our mouths, by our lips, with our words. Yeshua, speaking to the Pharisees, says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they've spoken. And then goes a little bit farther to say, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Words have weight. They matter to God because of how God intends them to be used to do his holy work. So we want to ask ourselves this question, and I know that most of us don't want to ask this question, but we have to ask ourselves this question, how are we using God's words? How are we using this God-given tool? How can we use our words to accomplish God's plans? How am I using this power tool for giving life to me and to other people? Am I finding life from it? Many of the Proverbs tell us that as we use this tool right, it gives us life. Am I finding life? Am I using it to build up, to restore, to speak life, hope, encouragement, to do God's great work in the world around me? Am I using it to change the world? Well, this is what it can look like. Guys, go ahead and play that video. If we use God's words the right way. So to see. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're gonna speak this week is probably not gonna be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're gonna speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. 
It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send. It's the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds. Speak life with their kids. For spouses who share hopes and dreams during pillow talk, not criticism. For teenagers, Stand up to bullies. Stand up for the uncool kids. Your tongue is so small, but so powerful. Your tongue is telling a story. Proverbs 16 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Words matter to God because words have the, the weight to create life or to create death. And we've been given this power and with this power comes great responsibility. How we're gonna use our words. We can't do it without God's wisdom. We can't do it with worldly wisdom. Proverbs lays out numerous scriptures for us. How to guard our mouths. <clears throat> how to hold our tongue. How to not speak and to be silent at the appropriate times. How to speak words of wisdom at the appropriate times how to speak life at the right times. We can't do this well without God's wisdom. And so I want to challenge us tonight. James tells us that no one has ever been able to control the tongue. They can't tame it. Human beings can't tame it. We can't control it. That's how powerful the tongue is. No one's been able to control it or tame it. Only with this wisdom from God are we able to put it in a cage where it can be used to bring life. And so I'm challenged for all of the reasons that we've just got through saying. I'm challenged. I need this wisdom, God. I don't want to continue to fall down in this area. More than that, if you've given me this tool, God, to change my world, how am I using it? This right here, for me, doesn't count. How do I speak to my wife? How do I speak to my children, my coworkers, 
the guy that honks his horn in the street at midnight. That's what matters. Would you stand with me? Let's finish our time. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. <clears throat> and they're there already. Let's pray. And then we want to invite you. We're going to have our prayer team down here in the front. If you want prayer for anything, maybe it's this area of the mouth. You can come and ask for prayer, but it, it doesn't have to be about the mouth. It can be prayer for anything. We want to give you that opportunity to engage with the Lord. Our prayer team will be down here and uh, Pastor Jonathan is, or Pastor Jonathan, Jonathan, our elder uh, deacon is going to come and close here in just a second. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us the wisdom to control this amazing power tool that you've given to us. Thank you for allowing us just to see the power that it holds, the power that it wields. And we know that we haven't handled it well in the past. And God, as we're looking forward into the future, we know that you want to do amazing things on this earth. You want to use us. And we need this tool. So God, we're asking that you sharpen us on the inside. Give us that wisdom that we need to, to control our mouths to harness our tongues, to, to remain silent where we need to be silent and glorify you with this tool that you've given to us. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.